0: I'm going to talk about how firm is firm. What I'm going to be referring to is Hersey and Blanchard's theory of situational leadership. This is a theory that comes out of um, the corporate and educational world, organizations, about how you lead people. And what I have found is that it uh, applies beautifully to the interactions between adults and children. So we're going to talk about this today. okay Hersey and Blanchard's theory of situational leadership it goes from the bottom up telling selling participating and delegating now you remember these are leadership styles how supervisors leaders should interact with subordinates and again I have found that it fits really well with the relationship between adults and children The main factor is the child's task maturity. I mentioned in an earlier lecture about figuring out which decisions a child should be allowed to make and which ones the child should not be allowed to make. What you look at is the individual child's task maturity. Is it low, low to moderate, moderately high, or high? Depending on that, Your mode of interaction should be, I think that's behind it, it should be telling, there it is, selling, participating, or delegating. And you remember it goes from the bottom up. Telling is for the child with real low task maturity. The leader provides specific instructions. Now, obviously, that's why it's called telling. The child is not very mature, not very capable on this task. Now, notice, this child is not very mature on this task, so I'm going to tell him what to do. I give him very specific instructions. I provide explanations. Okay, they're kind of optional, but I'm not going to reason with my follower, okay? I may tell the person, here's why you do this, but I don't have to convince him. The locus of control for the follower is entirely external. Now, I'm going to explain that term, locus of control. It's a term out of psychology. Internal versus external. Locus is a word that simply means place or location. So the idea is, where is your or this child's place of control? Is it inside the person or outside the person? In other words, are you controlled by yourself? Are you controlled by others? Do you believe your own personal effort has to do with whether you seed, succeed or is it just luck if you succeed do you think your ability determines whether you succeed or is it more likely to be where you know who you know people with internal locus of control believe in things like self effort and ability to make a difference in their lives People with external locus of control believe others, luck, and who you know has more to do with success. Now obviously, folks with internal locus of control do better in life, son of a gun. If you believe that it's up to you and that hard work matters and you try to learn some stuff or practice so you'll have more ability, you're going to be more likely to succeed Then if you think it's all up to others and luck and who you know. Um, A good example, if you want to have a good income, some money, is it better to work hard, go to school, and uh, train for a career, or to buy a lottery ticket? And unless you've got some really, really well-connected relatives, uh, who you know is not going to help you either. For telling, the follower is immature on the particular task. He has little experience or poor judgment. This is when you tell. The child is immature on the particular task, or he has little experience with it, or poor judgment. He's unwilling. You have to make him do it. He has little self-control, no matter what he wants to do. Uh, You can't trust him because you know he doesn't have any self-control, cannot be trusted for some reason, and he's just beginning to learn, doesn't know what he's doing, and so forth. Here's some examples that will help clarify this. Here's a young child telling basic safety, interpersonal relationships, hygiene procedures. Okay, back to whether you let your young child brush his teeth or not, decide whether to brush his teeth or not. When he's 22, yes, you can't do anything. You know, when he leaves your home. But when he's 3, when he's 8, however old, You don't let him make that decision because it's the family budget uh, at risk and his health and well-being. So you tell him you will brush your teeth at these times, and you will floss, and you will do this. Um, Basic safety. You will go to the corner. You will not cross in the middle of the street. You will wait for the light and the signal, and here is what it looks like. And you will look both ways before you cross the street. Whatever it is that's appropriate, you tell the child, here's what you will do, here is how you will do it, here's what I expect. Interpersonal behavior, we do not hit, you will not hit, you will not take your fellow students property, you will not do call people names no argument, I don't have to convince you I'm right, you simply will not do these things, okay? And again, immature, inexperienced, poor judgment, um, can't be trusted uh, to do it right, whatever, you've got someone who's immature, you tell them. Now here, it, crossing the street, bedtime, brushing teeth, not hitting, not taking others' toys, etc. Real basic stuff for the young child, you just tell them. Now, let's look at a teenager. What do you tell the teenager? Basic rules and expectations for dating, sexual behavior, and driving. Specific topics, curfew. When you come in, reporting in, Calling me, acceptable places to go, acceptable companions, speed limit, drinking, etc. Now, sometimes I have my uh, my younger students tell me I'm real old-fashioned, but I really don't care. If you go back and look at those characteristics of task immaturity, when it comes to sex, driving, substance abuse. Uh, Roaming around free. Teenagers need to be told what your expectations are and you need to follow through and enforce them. Um, Regarding sex, teenagers are immature, inexperienced, Okay, cannot be trusted, all those hormones, uh, bad judgment, so they need to be told what your standards are. Uh, And as far as I'm concerned, if you're in high school, the standard is no, okay? You're my child. Here is your curfew. It's 11 o'clock if you're in high school. On weekend nights, and again, some of my uh, younger students roll their eyes and groan, I don't care, 11 o'clock, here's who you can be with. Here's where you can go. Here's who's going to drive. Drinking, there will be none. Speeding, there will be none. On and on and on and on. If you decide to go somewhere else, you will call me. And if I say no, you will not go there. And when you come home, I will be waiting up for you. Okay? Because I'm your mama. And here are my expectations. Again, real basic rules, real clear expectations, and I'm just telling you, um, you can argue, and I'll give you explanations, but I'm setting the rules for this. okay? And a discussion I always have with my younger uh, students is why parents set the curfew at 11 o'clock on uh, weekend nights. And my younger students will say, well, you can do anything after 11 o'clock that, before 11 o'clock that you can do after 11 o'clock. Yeah, that's not the point. The point is who's out after 11 o'clock and whose parents lets them let them be out after 11 o'clock. My kid, I want you home, all right? So, telling, real basic example for teenagers. Now let's look at selling. Remember, we're going up one step. We're going from low task maturity to low moderate. And by now, you should have picked up the idea that it has to do with the child and the task. What's this child and what's his maturity on this task? All right. Selling, the leader explains why one solution is better. You are trying to convince the person. You are trying to get them to agree. Leader responds to feedback from the follower and answers questions. You're having a discussion. You want the person to do this. A certain way, and you convince them. The follower indicates that he or she understands, accepts, and complies. The leader may acquire in new information from the follower. You're discussing back and forth. Now, here's some examples Young child, you explain why it's important to pay attention in school why it's important to feed pets on time, take turns at play. And you have a mutual discussion. Here's why you should feed your pet that you uh, insisted that I kept for you. And by the way, it's usually the mother who winds up really feeding the dog. But here's why it's important to feed little Fido. And, you know, here I'm going to encourage you and we're going to do this together and you eventually will take over with this dog. Okay? Why it's important to pay attention in school. For a teenager, explaining why it's important to take college prep courses, why it's important to check the oil in your car, why it's important to read labels before washing clothes, and etc. And everyone going through life has to sooner or later wind up with a load of pink underwear, It's the lesson you learn when you don't pay attention to your parents explaining to you why it's important to sort, laundry, and read labels and follow the instructions, okay? But you sell, you cooperate, you participate, you uh, mutually discuss things with the follower. Now, participating, we've gone up one more level to moderate task maturity. Okay, so obviously participating, it sounds like a little more back and forth and cooperation and partnership between the supervisor and the subordinate. The follower contributes some efforts that multiplies the relationship. This person, this follower, has some ability, some maturity, some information and becomes a a more contributory part of the process. Uh, It's a more mutual relationship. Control goes freely back and forth, shared responsibility. Both parties may return to selling or telling when necessary. You think you're at this level with your child. Things aren't quite going right. You can back up to telling or selling if you need to adult retains the right to veto. This is very important, and again, parents who are too lenient often make promises or set up situations where they don't retain the right to veto, and they get in really bad trouble, okay, if they don't set up that, that authority, that right to veto first. Here's an example with a young child, planning the packing and itinerary for a family camping trip. You let the kid do it. Uh, he consults with you. He brings the list to you, and you look at it, and you give suggestions. Uh, you, if there's something unwise in the uh, document or you know whatever the kid's writing up, you may say no. But basically, it's a discussion passed back and forth, selecting control clothes for the day. Kid can select his or her outfit for the day. You retain the right to veto. Uh, For example, if the outfit does not cover sufficient amounts of skin, you can send the child back. But basically, um, kid can wear whatever he or she wants. And, uh, you know, if it, like, clashes or stripes with plaids, but that's what the kid wants to wear, you let him wear it, okay? Making invitations for a birthday party, whatever. Now, with an older child, setting up a savings account and budget. Uh, The child has been doing chores, uh, has income, a little bit of income, plus an allowance, You help set up a savings account and a budget, and pretty much whatever that little amount of money is, the kid can manage it. In consultation with you, you retain the right to veto expenditures that are very, very inappropriate. Okay, Painting and furnishing a bedroom. One question I ask students often, uh, some of whom have teenagers, Suppose you say to a kid, you can paint your bedroom any color you want, and the kid says black. And then I have a discussion. Would you let the child do that? First of all, you didn't retain the right to veto. And that may be something you should have done. You should have said, "Um, let's talk about what color you want to paint your bedroom. Anything within reason will be okay with me. Um, let, you know, let's see what you want. And you have that discussion back and forth. You don't just let go of the decision. And the kid says, black. What I find is that um, my students are often divided. Some say, oh, sure, let him paint it black. I don't care. And others say, no. And they give reasons. Uh, the house is... You know, the family's biggest asset in most cases, if you paint a bedroom black, that reduces resale value. Um, To cover it up and repaint it is going to be really hard. It'll take coat after coat after coat to cover that black paint. Um, Either way is right. Either way is okay. But the point is that it has to be a decision that the parent can veto if it's inappropriate, if it's not acceptable. Um, I have a third reason, another reason that people don't often uh, come up with. Teenagers are kind of naturally mopey, dopey, gloomy people, and I would not let a teenager hole up in a room that's painted black. If you had retained the right to veto earlier, you would be more able to say to the kid, what are you after? Are you after kind of a dramatic personal statement? Um, What if we did a little bit of of interior decorating and we let you paint uh, one wall uh, a deep Chinese red? Okay. Is Is that what you're after? So more of that back-and-forth, back-and-forth, and and, uh, having that participatory decision, and the parents still keeping control. The last level is delegating. Leader turns over responsibility for decisions. Now remember, that is the child with high task maturity. Follower has completely internal locus of control. The child can make this decision and has that internal ability to make the decision. follower reports the decisions and process. Now, he's not just completely independent. He has to check in with the parent and tell, tell them what's going on. The college freshman needs to check in with mom and dad, needs to make the phone calls, uh, needs to go home for the weekends, needs to talk about things like what courses I'm taking and what major I want, and and report back. So it's not that the follower just completely goes off independent and is never heard from again. It's more of a communicating process. Followers mature and may even be on the lead, be beyond the leader in a particular area. You can see this very often um, when the leader has. Is dealing with a specific skill. For example, a coach may be able to outplay uh, elementary kids, middle school kids, some high school kids, but somewhere in the high school area, high high school years, that coach is going to have players whose skills and abilities are better than his or hers. The the 16-year-old, 17-year-old can jump higher, run faster, whatever, than the coach who's 45 or 50. That's not the point. The coach still has plenty to contribute. Uh, Coaching is is not dependent on being able to outdo. With the beginner, you need to show them, here's how you do it. But with the more mature uh, athlete, you often can't. Tell them what you want. So uh, same thing for teaching uh, a child a musical instrument or to sing. At a certain point, the follower goes beyond the teacher. The teacher may still have lots and lots to offer the the follower. Now here's some examples, young child. You can delegate shower and dressing. Showering and dressing. kid may be kind of messy, uh, kid may be mostly clean, but you let him do it. Walking to and from the bus stop, the child knows how to do it, you let him do it. Uh, the kid can make a simple meal. He can uh, open a can of soup and make a sandwich, so you let him do it. For the older child, teenager, driving to and from work and school, Caring for pets, filling out applications for colleges, supervising siblings, also known as babysitting. Uh, the kid can do it, he's mature, you delegate the task, let him do it. Okay, now, um, we've been going through these levels telling, selling, participating, delegating. They apply both to your own kids and they apply to teaching. Now, a little bit of a sidelight here. If you looked at the first mini-lecture and this one, you may notice this class is called Classroom Management and Discipline in Regular Classrooms. But I talk about parenting. I talk about raising your own kids. And I also talk about teaching school and teachers. What I would like you to do is make some shift to looking at the relationship between adults and children. And if you go back to the first mini-lecture, and the title of this segment is called Getting Your Head Straight On Straight About Interactions Between Adults and Children. That's the main focus. The basic principles of relating to kids apply whether you're raising them or teaching them. And so I hope you can, can see that difference. I also like to get people who have children to focus on their experiences with their children and use that material to help them with their teaching. And people who've had some experience in classrooms, uh, observing or whatever, but don't have any children, to see if they can use some of those experiences to understand adults' interactions with children. Thank you very much.